Welcome to From What If to What Next, where the imagination age takes wings. Think of us as being like a perfumed garden in which your imagination can be the happiest bee imaginable, gathering imagination pollen, which it can then turn into the most beautiful golden and flowing imagination honey or something. Anyway, if you're a regular here, you know what we're all about and you're very welcome. And if you're new here, you're most welcome to. And I must just mention that we're able to do this thanks to those wonderful, almost saint-like figures who support us at Patreon for the price of a cup of coffee a month. They enable us to make these podcasts sound as amazing as they do, while in return we shower them with goodies like bonus episodes, subscriber-only specials and other things too. We love them. And if you'd like to join their exalted ranks, please go to patreon.com slash from what if to what next and subscribe. Thank you. Perhaps one of the issues underpinning the decline of our collective imagination is that our imagination and our attention are far more valued by other people than we value them ourselves. Our online lives are continually mined for data and for clues about what we like and what we will like in the future, what we choose, what we think. It's no different when we walk the streets of our towns and our cities. Powerful psychology is used to convince us, often subliminally, that we want and need things we never even previously knew existed. This is especially dangerous at a time when we need to urgently cut consumption of high-carbon generating products and lifestyle choices. It's estimated that in the UK companies spend over 23 billion pounds a year on advertising and research shows that the more advertising we're exposed to the more unhappy we feel the more materialistic we become the less we engage in positive social activities and the less we care about the environment advertising in other words is incompatible with the decarbonization we so urgently need and there's a very real and dangerous link between living in cities overrun with cars and the fact that we're surrounded by billboards and newspapers stuffed with seductive car ads what if instead those spaces presented us with different messages, messages celebrating more inclusive cities with far less cars, cities with clean air, rich with biodiversity, messages that told different stories. So our what-if question for today then is what if we reclaimed our public spaces from advertising? I'm joined by two great guests who've not just given this a lot of thought, but who've got up and started actually doing something about this. So Rosa Turkayola is a campaigns and communications manager at Rising Arts Agency. Led by creative young thinkers, the agency advocates for sector and cultural change in Bristol and beyond. In 2020, Rosa led the hashtag Who's Future campaign that took over 350 ad spaces and challenged the city with engaging, thought-provoking questions statements and art from the rising community. Rosa is also the founder of the Bristol Women's Mural Collective, a group of 300 plus women that hosts monthly paint jams and provides support, advice and visibility to women working in street art. And Robbie Gillett works part-time from Bristol on Possible's badvertising campaign against ads for high-carbon products such as polluting cars, SUVs, airline flights, fossil fuel companies and all manner of other revolting things. He also works works at Ad-Free Cities, a project to reduce the amount of corporate advertising we're exposed to in public space and creating community arts alternatives. He's been interested in consumerism, advertising and corporate power since reading Naomi Klein's No Logo as a teenager. It had a similar effect on me. Since then, he's been active in grassroots climate campaigns against airport expansion, coal-fired power stations and fracking with networks such as Camp for Climate Action and Reclaim the Power. Welcome both to From What If to What Next. Lovely to have you here. Nice to be on here. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, thank you so much. So, 
I'd like to start in our time-honoured fashion by inviting you to join me over here by my time machine. And this time machine is one that I built a couple of years ago and it's been a revelation, allowing myself and my guests to travel into the near future to get a very visceral sense of what the future would be like if the changes we long for in 2021 were actually to become a reality by 2030. I was recently approached by actually by IKEA who wanted to buy, Ben doesn't know this, by, by IKEA who wanted to buy my time machine plans so they could build a combination time machine and walk-in wardrobe. They're thinking that if you lost anything, you could just pop into the wardrobe, go back in time and find it again. But once I'd pointed out to them the vastly complex and interconnected potential moral and space-time continuum scenarios that could arise on an almost unimaginable scale, they decided to just stick with a straightforward walk-in wardrobe. So anyway, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, if I might, and to make yourself comfortable. And I'm going to turn this on now. Just, just flick that, do that. There we go. And, ah, and then as I do... Imagine that you're travelling through the years between now and 2030, a time of incredible transformation, unimaginable in 2021. And you emerge into a 2030 that's more equal, with far cleaner air, louder birdsong, it's more just, diverse, delicious and low carbon. It's also a world that has, since about five years ago, replaced advertising in public spaces with art and beautiful messages promoting a better world. Advertising online and in publications has changed hugely too. The world you were both working so hard to bring about in 2021 bore fruit. You did it. Well done. So could you describe that world to us? What does it smell like and feel like? Uh, Rosa, do you want to start us off? Sure. So I'm I'm sitting on a bench and the sun is shining and the air is very crisp and clear. I hear something something's going on down the road. So I uh I get up from my bench and I go to investigate and I'm seeing lots of people from all different walks of life and they're carrying ladders, they've got paintbrushes, they've got cads of uh, eco-friendly spray paint which exists and they're going to a house and the house is street facing and it's where there used to be a big billboard and they're all getting together and they're mapping out an image for that community which um, has significance for them and it makes me very happy to see that image. Beautiful. I I'm down there too, actually. Oh, really? So we're 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 on the side of a, a gable wall at the end of a terraced house uh, housing row, and yeah, like you said, there used to be a, a big bright digital advertising screen on there, but following the great transition, we got rid of that, and uh, and now we're working on a community mural to um, some a, a pillar of the local community who, who passed away sadly of old age, but who was a really ins- inspiring. Um, woman who, who held the whole community together and, and and everyone who lived in that area wanted to create a tribute to her um, uh, and you know they've been meaning to get around to paint this space where the billboard got removed um, but now today's the day and there's been a great um, community collaboration to, to design the different features of the mural to you know select the photograph that the artists are going to work from and add in the words and the features and yeah hopefully it'll be done in the next sort of two three days how long does it take to do a mural? I think it's going to be a week-long project. And, oh, wait, someone's just come and they're offering everyone tea. Do you want a biscuit? Yeah, great. Okay, great. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice to see, like, everyone's getting involved and it's bringing everyone together. 
I get a call from Rosa saying, come down to this uh, community arts mural. So I, I hop on our really good public transport. Um, and on the public transport is uh, some nice graphic illustrations and artworks um, inside the carriage. Not too many. There's also some poems um, on there, which is a continuation of something we saw in the early 2000s of, of poems on the underground, which people remember from London Underground. So I read some of those poems um, then got off at, at the tram stop, um, and there's the old the old advertising screen from the from the tram stop has gone now, and that's actually now a community notice board. Um, these were like energy intensive digital screens that used to show images of of Big Macs and fast fashion and new cars being advertised regularly, but we decided to get rid of those about a, a few years ago, uh, and now those advertising spaces are now available to the local community. So we've got. Um, outreach events from local uh, women's associations, um, uh, homelessness support groups, which thankfully are needed less nowadays, um, and also community arts and singing music cooperatives. So great to see on my way to the community mural painting, um, that former advertising space is used as a community billboard for shout outs and, and voluntary associations. So that's really nice. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you. Beautiful. And uh, so a little while ago, I read a great little book called, with a, with a great title, Advertising Shits in Your Head, which I really, really recommend to everybody, uh, and whose title speaks for itself. I wonder, it'd be great to hear what you both see as being the negative impacts of advertising and why you give so much of your time to trying to bring it under control. Robbie, should we start with you? Yes, yeah, so that book, Advertising Shits in Your Head, um, was a, a wonderful summary of both the problems and some of the strategies for resistance of, to corporate advertising. Uh, and I think um, we're seeing recently um, the coming to the fore, particularly uh, the worst examples of um, advertising, the most egregious products such as junk food, gambling ads um, and advertising for high carbon products, a lot more social movement energy in challenging those um, and those products. You know, they, they make us unwell in terms of health outcomes and what we eat and, and junk food. Um, fast fashion is using often unrealistic, unattainable uh, beauty standards to market and, and advertise their products, as well as having a high impact on labour conditions in the factories that are made, and uh, as well as the environmental impacts of fast fashion. And high carbon products were ex are exacerbating the climate problem, not only by normalising the ongoing consumption of high carbon products and presenting that as just acceptable despite the climate crisis, but also providing an outlet for major polluters to do greenwash um, and to deceive the public into thinking that they're part of the solution when they're often part of the problem. Companies like Shell, BP, Total, Jaguar Land Rover, etc. Um, so they're, they're the sort of the worst offenders, if you like, of the advertising world. But actually, stepping back from that, there, I think there's a broader problem with advertising uh, in that it it does increase our and um, perpetuate a, a consumerist model, a model of consumerism, and um, that is reliant on heavy extraction and ex and the externalities and negative impacts in terms of the environment and our mental health not being factored into into the equation. Um, and so that broad and increasing calls for consumerism, which we see in particular moments around the year, whether it's like Black Friday in November or Christmas, famously, these these bouts of hyper-consumption where we all sort of get a bit lost and dizzy with it, I think are uh, indicative of this just generalised increase 
pattern of encouraged to express ourselves by our material purchases. And I think that is one of the more pernicious problems of advertising is that it tells a story of what our good, of what the good life should be, of what our aspirations should be, of what we should dream uh, to become, uh, and it's telling the wrong story. And some of the best creative minds in the country, brilliant filmmakers, photographers, animators, are being put to work in this industry that at the moment is orientated in, in the wrong direction. Thank you. Rosa, what gets you out of bed to do this work? Well, I, yeah, I think my angle comes from... It's, it's more of an artistic angle of, of seeing the value in which having creativity in the public landscape can affect your experience of a city. I think the power of replacing ad space with art is about empowering local communities to be able to have a say in, in what they want to see around them and what messages they want to be surrounded by to have advertising surround you day by day on your way to work like Robbie was saying like in the tube when you just wanna you can't just exist you're constantly being fed a message and manipulated to want to buy something or to it's not even information anymore like people that, that idea that you can't get a moment of, of, of peace and on the when you're out in public space sometimes particularly on bigger cities like the London Underground in particular. Mm. I do find that, I, I share that, you know, I, I don't live in London anymore. When I return there, the, the intensity of the advertising screens on the Underground, as you go down the escalator, there are 40 screens working in unison, flashing brightly mm. to grab your attention. And you're like, you know, navigating the Underground's, a chat, you know, need all your attention as it is anyway especially if you're from out of town and suddenly it just i think that works at the back of your subconscious as well the sort of busyness the sense of like uh, brain power that you need to put on and, and to expend in, in processing those ad messages yeah 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 it's it's that's that's our sort of switching off time but it doesn't let us switch off for me there's a underused concept of the right to the city when we're doing uh, anti-advertising work which is this idea about the not just the right to access um, that the services and resources we need like housing, clean air, decent transport, clean water, etc. But also the, the right to change and adapt the city in order to change ourselves or to reflect ourselves. Um, and at the moment, the processes of urban transformation are led by big capital, by developers um, and the interests of, of the growth economy. And I think the right to the city concept and slotting anti-advertising into that, saying let's take down these big billboards that champion consumerism and tell us to uh, value a certain form of material consumption, a certain vision of the good life. Let's remove those and replace them with community art or rewilded green spaces. Because in doing that, we're sort of we are creating the urban environment that reflects the values that that we want to see more of. Um, and I think the right to the city is, is a useful, uh, if slightly academic Marxist concept um, to bring in into our work. And also to situate the anti-advertising debate, not just about, uh, you know, urban, like neighbourhood aesthetics and like small C conservative or, or I don't like those big billboards, which is a totally legit uh, reason to object to a billboard but there are much bigger questions about the economy about our mental health about our well-being at play when we do engage in, in anti-advertising organizing mm. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so so Norwich and North Somerset and Liverpool councils, I think, all recently announced, as have several other cities around the world, that they'll be bringing in a ban on adverts for high-carbon goods and services. Is this an important first step? And what do you see shifting right now in the world in terms of our relationship to advertising, Rosa? I think, yeah, one of the things that I'm thinking about now is that actually in the past year, because of um, COVID and the lockdowns and the change in environment in terms of like businesses not being able to advertise in the same way, it was a very interesting landscape because suddenly there were opportunities, a lot more creative opportunities to take over those spaces. And um, my work with Rising, we did our first big kind of public art campaign during that time and that was only made possible because there was suddenly no need to advertise and so it was kind of a bittersweet in in that people to have a voice in that time was just because there was a break in how things normally work and I think if anything that should be the standard now and it's yeah, it's disappointing that as as we're going back to normal life or whatever, that is just kind of swept away again. Demand a new normal. That was the, the, <laughs> the rallying cry during 2020 lockdown, right? If it's going to be different, if it's going to be different, why not make it better? And some, some really beautiful things came to light, like the mutual aid groups and the, like civic spirit that arose during the, the lockdown. And... Uh, other examples like this, suddenly commercial billboard spaces becoming vacant and available for groups to do community art um, because because of the recession that you're describing. We have seen uh, in the last few years a, an increase in the number of local authorities taking action against particular forms of advertising. So Transport for London introduced a ban on junk food advertising um, back in 2018, uh, advertising for high fat sugar salt products um, to use a more policy jargon that helped set a political precedent that's that advertising does impact us otherwise it wouldn't be a 23 billion pound a year industry as it is in the uk which is important when people say well look what's the big deal about advertising i just ignore it anyway and it's like whether we like it or not whether we choose to engage with advertising or it does impact us because it's a highly sophisticated communication method but since then yeah bristol city council introduced a ban in march 2021 on uh, advertising for gambling payday loans and junk food on on advertising sites that bristol council controls and as you're describing amsterdam city council and very recently the hague in the netherlands city council also introduced bans on advertising for high carbon products as have north somerset and uh, norwich city council too and liverpool as well so Momentum is growing. Starting with council bounds is a great way of building up political mandate for national action. And actually at the EU level, a recent initiative to ban fossil advertising and sponsorship has been launched by a coalition of different NGOs, Global Witness, Greenpeace International, ActionAid, Amnesty International, as well as smaller grassroots groups have got involved in that call. They're trying to get a million signatures from EU residents to get a new EU law through an international level momentum is growing for those bands but quite the strategic question is is that enough you know do we just want to see you know just be knocking off these uh, products one by one junk food gambling uh, payday loans high carbon advertising or actually 
what Ad Free Cities is calling for is a is a reduction in the amount of corporate advertising we're exposed to. Full stop. Um, and please, a democratization of some of the existing ad spaces that are unlikely to be removed. And and those are those are different calls, different demands. Um, but the the bans on high carbon product advertising is a first step. I think a stepping stone towards some of these more utopian visions of um, re-democratizing uh, the visual realms in, in the way that we we're doing it in your time machine earlier, Rob. And so I guess that leads into a, a question that a few people have asked me when I have conversations about this, where they say, so where do you draw the line? So if I was to start a showroom selling my time machines, for example, is it not my right to let people know about it so at what point does a business wanting to inform people about its products become a problem should we ban advertising by for example local opticians or bakers or local breweries where 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 do we draw the line when does it become a problem Mm, that's a good question it's i think so yeah someone else i was speaking to was saying the same thing of like isn't a shop front an ad as well like it's tricky i think for me it's different when it's like a a local independent business or something like that. I don't know if there is some kind of like official, this is where the line is, but I think, mm, Robbie, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, where, where you draw the line? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've, we've grappled this with with this as at Block Bristol and as at Free Cities. Um, starting at the more easily agreeable problematic end these huge digital screens that we see um all over us increasingly all over our cities and neighborhoods they some of them take the same amount of electricity as 30 average uk households or even the one at a bus stop takes the same electricity as, as four average uk households that huge energy demand to be selling uh you know all the sort of problematic products that we were describing before okay we can easily agree we don't want to want to see those um an, an idea of a a billboard non-proliferation treaty would be good, uh, a kind of moratorium on no new billboards. That's something that Ablock Bristol and other groups are calling for at a city level. Um, and then I think there is a distinction uh, between local arts and culture, advertising, local independent grocery store. Um, I think in our work, going out, knocking on doors, engaging in, in communities in Bristol and elsewhere, People have much less grievance with that type of advertising um, for smaller independent businesses that um, are shown to be more beneficial to local communities because of the way they recirculate uh, money within the local community rather than uh, going off to big international shareholders, etc. Which is what, from companies like McDonald's or Tesco or Coca-Cola or KFC, all of those companies, by the way, are in the top 10 companies using outdoor advertising. Um, big corporations also got various charges of tax evasion laid at their door as well. So that's one distinction to be, to be made. It's like, is it a big corporation? In which case, can we not have its advertising all over our cities, please? But that's, that's counter to the logic that we're in at the moment, where those with the most amount of money get to put their messages in the most prominent places. Um, and th- that is a, a, a dynamic that we're trying to counter with our um, Ad Free Cities work. I th- yeah, just to add on to that, I think it's also important to think about like where in cities these ad spaces are um, and that in Bristol particularly, um, you have like the more affluent areas which are, have kind of protection rights and things like that. So they, 
you you won't find a billboard spot in Clifton. You will find them everywhere in Lawrence Hill and Barton Hill in Easton. Um, so there is, yeah, like who is seeing this stuff and they have no choice in that. And it's part, yeah, it's part of the wider kind of design of the city and structural inequality. Mm, absolutely. There's a question of environmental justice there in that you get billboard advertising next to heavy road networks uh, because they're often directed at motorists, ironically, sometimes selling new cars to motorists stuck in traffic. Um, but what else do you get next to heavy roads? High levels of air pollution. Where do those areas tend to be located uh, in more economically deprived areas? So you get poorer neighbourhoods having to deal with sort of multiple injustices of um, more road traffic, more congestion, more air pollution, um, and then more billboards for commuters driving past through their neighbourhood. Um, certainly that's ex experience in, in Lawrence Hill and Easton, um, which are some of the more poorer council wards in the city of Bristol. So if we were to replace adverts with good things, what should those things be? It'd be great to hear a little bit about the work you're both involved in, Rosa, about whose future, and Robbie, about the work you're, you're doing as well. Rosa, maybe we'll hear from you first. So if we get rid of advertising... What should go in its place? Oh, sorry, could you can you hear me now? Hello? Can you hear me? That's very weird. Oh, can you hear me now? Ah, there we go. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Okay, I'll i I'll do that again. So so if we're to replace adverts with good things, what should those things be? What would be a better use for those spaces? It'd be great to hear a little bit from you both about what you've both been involved in, uh, in terms of, uh, hang on, let me just, I'm just wondering if there's a problem there. I'm going to record it as well. Recording? Yeah, good. Um, So what should yeah so what should what should ha happen in those spaces it'd be great to hear a little bit from you both about the work that you're both involved in Rosa maybe you first I think like a good thing to replace adverts with is just art and so I'm interested in replacing ad space with all types of art whether that be questions from voices that are underrepresented in culture, media. In 2020, we, uh, with Rising, we took over over 370 billboard and uh, poster spaces across Bristol with art from our community of creatives. So we had 37 artists involved and they each responded to a question of like, whose future are do we want to live in and the art that was put out on the street it talked about inclusion and accessibility it was about climate justice and it was uh, most prominently about racial justice as well because at that time Bristol we had the huge protest around Colston and the statue that was finally torn down so it was very much a question that people were living with and struggling with and so to be able to put that into art and to include 
uh, with every art piece. So it was photography, illustration, design and spoken word or poetry. Each artist got the chance to also say what they believed in. So it was merging statements and artworks and we spread that across Bristol and it really, I think, captured that moment in time and the reaction from the city and from like beyond was incredible and it kind of helped ripple that movement internationally as well I think and was that was that funded I mean did 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 people just self-organize and do that themselves or did artists have access to some sort of resources to support them yeah so uh, interestingly uh it was funded, it was funded by the council. They had public art budget left and they knew that we work with young people and they they said, you know, we won't censor you in any way, you can do whatever you want. So we were free to say what we wanted. Okay, thank you. Robbie, can you say maybe a little bit about what, what you've been involved with? Um, yeah, so uh, Adblock Bristol, which got going in April 2017, um, picked up a, a dormant project called the Berg Arts Project um, in St. Werberg's neighbourhood, which is a community arts billboard project. Uh, and it's been a really nice, positive um, activity that we've had taking over in the background as, as Ablock Bristol's been objecting to new digital billboards and, and changing the conversation around corporate advertising in the city. We've had this community arts billboard that we put new artwork on every couple of months or so. Different artists run community engagement workshops to co-create some of the themes and some of the topics. Um, one artist asked uh, a youth group, a children's group at St. Weber City Farm, I believe it was, saying, what's your favourite thing about nature? And then the, the children in this youth group painted their they drew their visions of nature, you know, animals and and wildlife and trees and flowers and sunshine. And then the artists uh, took all those artworks in a, in a wonderful collage. But you know, you know what kids' drawings are like. They're brilliant. They're full of arms coming out in funny places and you know <laughs> all the all the details like that. And she took that collage, assembled them into a piece, and put them on the on the billboards. Uh, and uh, I think for the local children who participated, it's a bit like you know having your your art class drawing on the fridge at home where you're like yeah, I'm, I drew that and take some pride in your work and seeing it on the wall in the school corridor or on your fridge at home but this time it was on a big billboard what happened with that the reason we got access to it was that um, the billboard fell into disuse because the landlord um, couldn't be bothered to deal with the the, the advertising company anymore because uh, actually landlords get quite a low amount of rent for the billboard space that they the land that they rent to the billboard company so it's often like six seven hundred pound a year which often isn't like worth their worth their poverty if they're a landlord um i think it we we something would be amiss in a discussion about advertising without discussing the really crucial role that subvertising groups have been doing uh, have played um in the anti-advertising mm. debate over the years this is subvertising the act of subverting commercial advertising um and this goes back to the situationist situationist international who had this idea of detournment this rerouting of of capitalist messages of commercial messages to reveal new meanings and um, the the Billboard Liberation Front in the U, in the USA in in the 1970s and 80s the the bugger up uh, doctors in Australia who were the billboards utilising graffiti artists against unhealthy promotions um, they were doctors uh, taking action against 
tobacco advertising, ad busters in the 1990s, and then groups like Brandalism and Special Patrol Group, um, who have been going for the last 10 years or so. And what they've, what they've been doing is often taking corporate adverts uh, and imitating them uh, and satirising them at the same time, taking brands like Shell, HSBC, Barclays, uh, Ford, BMW, big brands with whose recognition is come from their huge advertising over many decades and the the joy of those advertising campaigns is to take that brand recognition and and use it against um some big corporate criminals whether those are big polluters uh, or big banks uh, and, and others and so uh yeah the, the advertisers i think we, we should give a shout to all the guerrilla artists artists and covert installation teams and people up ladders with brushes um because it's a, an immediately impactful way to speak back to the mm. one-way communication of corporate advertising. Yeah, it's beautiful and often very funny as well. And 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 um, what kind of reaction, if anything, do you get from advertising companies? You know, are you seen as the enemy? Are the, the, do, do they? Is there any interaction with them? How does that work? I think we're we're you know a thorn in their side at the moment, um, and a, and a growing one in that. Um, where the advertising industry, well, it's it's in flux. That question, the, the industry is in flux at the moment. I think there's lots of progressive voices, lots of young creative minds, deeply concerned about issues of mental health, uh, racial justice, migrant justice, um, and and climate sustainability. Um, and they're working in industries that are often not helping, uh, certainly on the climate issue and, and other issues. Um, so. But what we're seeing from the bosses and from the trade associations, the executives who run these big advertising agencies, is a kind of free market mentality that is resistant to government regulation and resistant to any restrictions being placed on them. So these are the same companies that opposed the ban on tobacco advertising, the same companies saying uh, that bans on junk food advertising, which are going through, are also a bad idea. And just recently this week, there was a European action against fossil advertising and the UK advertising associations came out and said, we don't believe that restrictions on certain products is the right way forward. And nor do we want to say which of advertisers, which advertising companies should work with which um, big energy companies, uh, to, to paraphrase the advertising association. And so what we see in that is leave it to us. Uh, business as usual is fine. We've got this covered. We've got our new sustainability plans like Ad Net Zero that the industry is announcing. Uh, and so... Yeah, it, it, you know, if you ask the question again in six months' time, we'd have a, the, the debate would have been moved on. And there's some really interesting initiatives, uh, like clean creatives in the New York, which is uh, people working in advertising are saying we don't want to work on big oil briefs, we don't want to work for polluting car companies or airlines, and um, purpose disruptors in the UK as well, um, who are doing similar work. So yeah, it's an exciting time for that debate to be rolling out. Mm, fantastic. So, so the, my last question is about. So the focus of this podcast is about imagination and advertising seems to me like the blatant hijacking of our imaginations, the co-opting of our imaginative lives uh, to sell us things. In what ways and how would a city that replaced advertising in the ways that you've suggested be and feel like a more imaginative place? Yeah, it's a good question. I... It's a, it's a really beautiful exercise. Um, and actually, you could go to cities like Grenoble um, and even Sao Paulo that have removed uh, advertising um, 
at scale and you get a sense of that sense of spaciousness i think initially it's quite a subtle feeling um it's an it's it's you know it's a tree instead of a billboard uh, may not have an immediate explicit effect on you but actually taken sub like on on aggregate over many days and weeks in our lifetimes i think our our the environment around us, the visual environment, the air quality, the, the calmness or um, and visual stimulation or not of a of your of your environment is really important for your mental well-being. But I think in our anti-advertising uh, work, we should be looking for visions of positive visions of like exciting urban spaces that are still full of colour and inspiration and art and some of the murals that Rosa works on with others. Um, what what it's replacing is telling you that to be happy you need to spend uh, and if you can't spend well then you can't play and be part of the game and that's that's the the, the system that we're we're trying to replace mm. rosa i think bristol is quite a, is a nice example in imagination as well because it's really embraced the art and it really, i think it's about empowering people to be able to create that change themselves and to be able to take over ad space and sort of as as you do as a tagger or um, someone that creates street art is to, is to actually claim space and um, to make it better. It's interesting you bring in the, the graffiti art example there because you know many graffitiists are, are you know and graffiti can be placed on one end of a street art spectrum right um, and many people take issue with less slightly tagging but often have a great appreciation for dubs or throw-ups or, or more intricate uh, murals but there's an interesting question about you know who has the right to the visual realm graffiti artists are uh, or street artists acting without permission are criminalized and often thrown in jail um, to get some pretty hefty sentences Yet uh, a company like BP or Volkswagen paying to advertise and put their messages, uh, their polluting messages in public space are given a platform. Um, and yeah, this sort of issue of the democratic rights to the visual realm in our urban spaces um, comes into play when you look at graffiti and corporate advertising in contrast. So thank you both so, so much for joining me here today. This has been wonderful. And thank you so much for the work that you do to uh, to make our cities more imaginative and more positive uh, spaces. Thank you. Uh, it's a great exercise in future visioning, Rob. It's been really enjoyable. Thanks for having us on here. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And so thanks to everybody for listening and to everybody who supports this podcast, to Ben Adicott for all the wonderful things he does to make it all sound so great. And uh, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.